Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. This is part one of our conversation with 39-year-old downhill ski racer, Stephen Nyman, who has been on the U.S. ski team since 2004. Stephen credits his devotion to training and nutrition and the knowledge he has gained about his body from rehabbing from numerous injuries for his longevity as a ski racer. The six foot four, 220 pound Sundance Utah native is a four time Olympian and is currently competing on the World Cup circuit, gunning for his fifth Olympic Games this February in Beijing. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I am just peachy. Just peachy. Fantastic. <laughs> are you in Banff, I think? I am. Before it gets too dark. Wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> Got a nice view. Is this a family Thanksgiving trip? Is it a training trip? Is it both? This is the first World Cup of the season. Ah, and yeah. the race is when? Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So are you, you're obviously having Thanksgiving up there. Do you have family with you, or is this a, a ski team Thanksgiving? I haven't had Thanksgiving in like <laughs> 15 years until last year, because it was her last year, so... <laughs> I usually get a few Thanksgivings. So everybody tries to make them before me or before I leave. This race is always over Thanksgiving weekend. And then, so my mom will do one before. And then when we get to Beaver Creek, they make one for us there because we missed out up here. But sometimes they attempt it up here and it's not that great. Canadians, <laughs> they don't do Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So it's <laughs> whatever. You had what? You had what? One time we had Thai food for Thanksgiving. Oh, Thai food. I thought you said caribou, and it wasn't too far outside the box for Canadians, I didn't think. Oh, <laughs> so I want to get into a little bit of your uh, background for folks. Um, you grew up in Park City. Both of your parents were ski instructors, and you had three brothers. You were chasing each other all over mountains all growing up. Could you have been anything else but a skier, or was this sort of preordained for you? <laughs> My grandfather actually was a professional baseball player. And my uh, dad was raised a baseball player. And when he was, I think, 18, he was like, Dad, I don't, I don't really like this. And he was like, then why would you been doing it? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, D do what you love. And he was like, I like skiing. And he actually really didn't start skiing till around then. And then he picked it up and just studied it, loved it, became the ski coach at BYU, and then uh, ran the ski school at Sundance for 20 years. So having my brothers around me and pushing me to different levels was it just fostered that competitive nature within me and i think that's the most important part just being a competitor and my younger brother was really really good he beat me in some races my older brother beat me in races i wasn't the best at times but i just i wanted it and i fought for it and still fighting for it at 39. <laughs> <laughs> I can't not say this because you said your grandfather's a professional baseball player. My grandfather was a professional baseball player. I don't know Megan from the, the ski team. So my grandfather was Yogi Berra. So two I people. I did a report with... on Yogi Berra back in the day. <laughs> did <That's> you? Cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you pick out a favorite Yogiism? I'm sure they made you if you did a report on him. Oh, I don't know. It was in <laughs> third grade or something. I can't That's remember. Crazy. <laughs> But your mom was a ski instructor as well, correct? Yeah. I say my mom taught us how to ski and my dad taught us how to race. That's kind of what I like to say. I don't know how my mom did it, but there was, she'd grab 
two of us and one of us and huck us on the chair at times and hope we didn't fall off. That's amazing. That way. <laughs> I was going to ask you, you said mom taught you to ski, dad taught you to race. I was going to ask you how you transition as a kid from just skiing into racing. Right now, there's little leagues in the U.S. It's called NASTAR. And it's a very simple form of racing that's 10 gates long. And you it's usually side-by-side dual racing. So you can start next to your buddy and immediately know who won just by who crossed the finish line first. And back in the day, it was called the Coca-Cola Cup. And that's kind of where we cut our teeth. And then we have the YSL leagues. The U.S. ski team isn't only the governing body. There isn't only just the best racers from the U.S. They're the governing body for skiing in the U.S. So they create the feeder leagues, the YSL leagues, the USSA leagues, or it should be called the USSS leagues now. And then that moves into FIS, which is the world tour or world governing body. And then FIS goes to NORAMs, Europa Cups, and then to the World Cup. So you just kind of have to improve your ranking at each level and qualify for the next level of race and go in and then get your butt kicked and figure out how to not get your butt kicked and go back up and fight again and, and chip away at that until you achieve a higher level and then keep moving up. So that's the part I'm definitely most curious about. Like you're racing your brothers on the mountain and you're trying to go fast and whatnot. But when you get an actual race, that's a very different thing than just kind of skiing for fun. So how does that, I mean, were you good at it right away? What was the progression like for you? What's really cool about ski racing is the variability. There's so many different variances of snow, different courses. You tend to find what you're really good at. I'm a great glider and gliding tends to be on the flatter sections. And so I try and capitalize on my strengths in those flatter sections. And then on the steeps, I kind of hold my own. And then there's just different terrain and, and you have to create that conviction within yourself of what's possible, what can you achieve, and you kind of just brainwash yourself into being able to do that. So when I first got on the World Cup tour, there's a race called Kitzbühel, which is kind of the Super Bowl of ski racing. And I got there and I was just like, I I don't want to do this. But there are stories around the guys that first got to Kitzbühel and stepped in the gate and they backed out and just said, I'm I'm not doing it. And I was like, I'm not going to be that guy. And I ended up to be top 30 is pretty good, especially in your first time down Kispiel. I think I was 26 or something. Top 30 gets you World Cup points and improves your ranking. If you're outside of the top 30, you're just hanging on. (laughs) So as, as a rookie, that was pretty good. And so I surprised myself, but I really didn't like the course for another, I'd say, eight, nine years. And, and then I figured it out. And once I figured it out, I was basically, they started the race down a lot lower to where I had a lot more energy on the final part, which was the most intimidating part for me. And you jump through this arch, you land, go through this compression turn, and then you're just on this rattly, icy side hill. And I was always swinging it out to come back underneath. And I never had the guts to take the tighter line. I just thought I didn't have the strength. But once they started it lower, I had that energy. And I did it. And I was like, that is just so much easier than <laughs> what I was making it out to be. So <laughs> I learned about these little things over time. And, and now I implement them in. And that's one of the races that I just want to race in. It's, it's so fun. It's just this puzzle that 
I understand and I see, and I have that conviction inside of me. I have a few secret lines that I only see a couple of guys doing, or I should say movements essentially. And it's, but my whole point is just finding that conviction and knowing what's possible. You can put yourself in these situations. And what's cool about downhill is we have our training runs. So in the first training run, you can kind of feel it out. And then you go back and look at video and see who was fast in this section, who was fast in that section. And then you can go back to the course and see if you think you're capable of doing that. And if I go back and I see that line and believe I can do it, I'm going to do it with full heart. And But if I see that line and I go back and I'm like, I don't know, I usually try and find a line closest to that where I can ski with the most with full intent instead of hesitation but there's a lot of a lot of the young guys they'll come in and they'll be like that's what he did i'm gonna try it out and then it usually can go sideways and they can get hurt (laughs) or they end up actually losing more speed because they're just not fully convinced of it so i think it's really important to understand your abilities and to go with full conviction with whatever you're doing When you say that you didn't want to be one of those guys who stood at the top at Kitzbühel and said, I'm not doing this, that Mm -hmm. that happens. Is it just fear or are they like, are they afraid they're going to fall? Are they afraid that they're going to be slow? What is it that stops you in, you know, at the top of a run like that? Kitzbühel is you hit 60 miles an hour within three seconds or two seconds. It's just out of the start, straight down. So it's very intimidating to the eye. And it goes down, hard left footed turn, hard right footed turn, and then they jump off this jump called the massive folly and they disappear. And their arms are usually swinging, and you're just like, oh, what? I have to do that. <laughs> but once you do it, and you're like, okay, I, I can do it, I'm capable, that's a relief off your shoulders. But that first race when you're standing there and you're seeing these guys go, and it's just the sheet of ice, and all you're wearing is spandex and a helmet like (laughs) you're not really uh protected that well because we're in it to for maximum speed when you're up there and you're you're witnessing that it's just incredibly intimidating but there's just a lot of stories that surround that course there's there's a guy on the u.s team who jumped off the massive and had a little too much direction to the right and they used to have a wooden picket fence there and he he went he landed and went over the wooden picket fence and as Helmet came off as he was cartwheeling down the hill, and people thought his head came off. And on the loudspeaker, they're like, "His head came off! His head came off!" You know, like there's all kinds of wild stories there, and there's been a lot of career-ending crashes there. It's just incredibly intimidating. The risk is very, very high, but so is the glory. There's seventy thousand people in the finish area cheering you on, so it's a it's a big deal. That's amazing. I did get to cover Torino and Vancouver Winter Olympics when I was uh, working at ESPN Magazine, and I got to at least see some of the the skiing in person. And it is amazing when you see the skiers go by you at that high speed, and terrifying when you see them fall at that high speed. So let's not talk about falling, but like, what is, for normal people, what does it feel like to go down a ski hill, topping sixty, sometimes people touching eighty miles an hour in basically a bathing suit? <laughs> to me like that's what i live for and mm-hmm. it's it's incredibly satisfying to have this piece in front of you that you have built this vision in your head of what you want to achieve on that piece and you set out and do it and when you do it 
and you go down and you hit those points and you make the right turns and you make the right movements and you're going over these blind rolls with full intent. It's for one exhilarating, but you've built this being my body, myself over the summer. And then obviously my skills of skiing over the, my lifetime. And that that's what I've done everything for like is, is this performance and to be able to put it down, create that performance and win or lose, achieve what you wanted to achieve or, or execute how you wanted to execute or not. Like that's, it's up to you. And I think it's just the rawest form of, of, I think athletics is the rawest form of performance. It's, it's like real deal on the line, right in front of your face, real reality TV, you know? Yeah. How often or how many times do you get to ski a run in practice before you have to compete on it? It's at least once to run a World Cup downhill or a downhill. They have to run their track once. And if uh, they don't do that, then they're usually not going to run the race. But they, they always figure out a way to make it happen. The Olympics, they'll let us do two to four. And then most World Cups, it's only two. So you're familiar, but you're not like super familiar. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta feel it out and try some things. But then on race day, it's you're convincing yourself of certain things. You haven't fully tried it, but you know it's fast, and you have to go for it if you're searching for the win. So I believe you started your career racing slalom, and then you started to you switched to focus more on downhill. What was the difference that drew you to downhill what did you not like about slalom so i come from sundance and it's a small mountain and they just didn't really have the trails to teach me downhill and a lot of the basis of downhill comes from that the the foundation of it is from the technical events slalom and gs mm -hmm. and so that's what a lot of the kids train anyway to run a downhill it takes a lot of energy a lot of effort and you have to close off a lot of the mountain but also at Sundance, there's a back mountain and a front mountain. And to get from the back mountain to the front, there's this long run that winds around this mountain. And there's a big, long flat section. So when I would chase the BYU ski team, I'd always, these bigger boys, I didn't understand momentum and physics that well. As a little, little kid, it was just like I was trying to figure out how to keep up with them. So through all that repetition, I think I hone my gliding skills naturally mm -hmm. and that's why i'm one of the best in the world so i i created that technical foundation just training the slalom and gs events in sundance and then later in park city but i qualified for world juniors as a slalom skier and i ended up winning i was uh i had never really been invited to a u.s ski team event and I had 90 stretch pants that I bought for 10 bucks. I had a backwards <laughs> hat on. It definitely was a surprise to a lot of people. <laughs> and then I was sent to World Cup finals and I got 15th there. And I was, I was this oncoming kid. But that spring I was skateboarding in California and I crashed and broke my ankle. And it just it hurt to make the quick, sharp turns. And I just switched from K2 to Fisher skis and K2 wasn't known to have fast speed skis. And when I got on the Fisher skis, I was like, well, this is really nice. And I was really fast. And I just naturally kind of migrated that direction. And I definitely had a lot of injuries because of the speed events, but mm -hmm. I just enjoy it. Like slalom, 
when you're having a bad run, it just does not feel good. <laughs> but downhill, when you're having a bad run, you're still having a great time. Like it's still a thrilling, fun uh, adventure down the mountain. So I totally enjoy it. The speed, the wind in your face, the willingness to drive forward at like searching for more speed. Like guys can go fast and you can make it down. But if you're in the mode of searching for more speed and driving down the hill, that's what's a lot of fun because you're in control. Your skis aren't taking you for a ride. You're taking your skis for a ride and you're active and you're anticipating what's coming and you know everything that's going to happen. And you're just, you're just going without fear. So this is all obviously pretty tough on your body traveling at those speeds, stabilizing, staying down into the mountain, the whole way this is your races i think are what between a minute and a half and two and a half minutes so it's it's not a short burst you're you're out there for a good amount of time and i mean i imagine that it's something at 39 years old you've been skiing for what 37 years and you've been on the u.s team for over 20 now i know that you're into health and fitness but how has your outlook evolved over the years that how you keep yourself tuned up for the rigors of this sport I think a lot of that foundation was established as a kid. My mom was an animal. Like she used to race mountain bikes and I'd watch her pass the boys. And I was just so proud of her. And um, <laughs> I have a big engine. I'm really strong on the bike. I push 400 watts at threshold. But a lot of that came from my youth and came from riding myself. Growing up in the mountains, we didn't play a lot of team sports. I, I rode bikes, I hiked, I, and I skied. And I think that created that foundation. But then once I made the ski team or, or started going to local clubs and learning about dry land and playing a bunch of different games, like we'd, we'd get gathered together as a team, have the kids doing coordinative exercises or balance exercises or just playing soccer, kicking a ball around, anticipating where it's coming from. You know, a lot of that stuff just was developed through youth. Then once you realize you have talent and skill, we start testing ourselves in the high jump and the sprints and in agility, we have a hex jump, a box jump. There's a thing called skills quest that the U S ski team creates and they test a lot of the kids throughout the nation and their general fitness. Essentially it used to be called the metals test. And as a kid, I wanted to get 100% on that. And so uh -huh. I'd work on that and be better with pull-ups and push-ups and sit-ups and all that stuff. And so I'd achieved that. And I was always into fitness, but I think I was also exposed to just real health through my parents. My mom was a gardener and she grew a great garden when we were kids and we'd eat really good food and she taught home economics. So she just, just, understood a lot of the stuff and exposed it to us and taught us how to cook. I, I, I wasn't always just going up after the quick and easy food. It was the quality stuff. It's I, I tasted the difference. I understood the difference and, and that's what I wanted. And I felt it in my body when I go and push myself. So through just exposure and experience, I realized the importance of it. Well, first of all, if you took the metals test today, how would you do? I've torn both Achilles, so quite poorly. <laughs> um, broke both legs, torn both Achilles, blown both knees. I'm good on a bike, but uh, my yeah. explosivity is quite 
dampened as of late. I would say I still have it in my mind. I'll play basketball with the guys on the team, all these young guys, and I go up for these moves, and then they just swat the ball away from me. So, <laughs> You're like, wait, I wasn't done with that one yet. Hold on. <laughs> I, think I'm, I think it's still there, but it's not there anymore. But... Sorry, what was your question? I would say, so you've been injured a lot, and that's oh. obviously impacted how you can yeah. train. What do the workouts look like dry oh, land workouts. nowadays? Yeah. So what I've really migrated toward, and there can be a bunch of different arguments either way, and people say you should really train balance when you're focused and fresh and that you're actually training it the proper way, but you're not totally fresh when you're skiing. So I like to go in the gym. I like to do circuit style training and fatigue the entire body. And I'll jump from anterior to posterior, upper body to lower body, and just constantly shifting and moving quickly. And uh, I'll fatigue every muscle group that I can fatigue, probably, I don't know, 18 exercises. And then I'll go jump to a slack line and test myself on a slack line while I'm fatigued and try and maintain that focus and balance uh, while fatigued and do coordinated exercises as well or mix the two while on a slack line or on another balancing form and i think training yourself to focus or perform under fatigue is important in our sport that's where you're going to set yourself apart is halfway down the course when people start to tire if you're focusing on your legs or feeling your legs or backing off a little bit or if you're able to just push through it and continue to focus on the task at hand that's that's where you're going to set yourself apart and that's when you're going to perform so that's kind of my main basis in the gym and i still like to expose myself to all kinds of different things things that haven't become routine just to keep myself fresh, keep myself thinking, keep challenging myself instead of just continually building the same things over and over and over. And then a typical week in the mornings or on Mondays, I'll do that sort of circuit style training. And then I'll do some sort of easy endurance in the afternoon. That's Mondays and Thursdays. On Tuesdays and Fridays, I tend to do pretty banger core, just everything's core a lot of skiing is core just continually wanting to drive down the hill and having that strength in your core and then you you really are hinging at your hips and waist and just putting a lot of torque on your midsection so core is so key so i'll just do a big banger core kind of circuit style as well and follow that with threshold endurance work so I'll do it on a bike. I'll do a running in the mountains. I'll do uh, some bounding stuff like jumping side to side up mountains. I, I like to find a chairlift nearby that's running for the bikers. So I'll run up the mountain and just take the chair down so I don't have to walk down. <laughs> um, and then Wednesdays and Saturdays are usually a longer endurance, like a three, four hour endurance type of ride, low key A1 level. And that's just to aid in recovery and, and also to kind of expose me to those longer days because out when we're ski racing, yes, our, our runs are only a minute to two and a half minutes long, but we're on the hill for several hours. So to be able to continually perform for several hours in a row is, is important and not to uh, get fatigued over that time. This concludes part one of our conversation with Stephen Nyman. Be sure to check out part two and follow Stephen on Instagram and Twitter at at Stephen underscore Nyman. 
You can also follow the U.S. Ski Team on both platforms at at U.S. Ski Team. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.